If you would like to support the Proper Mental Podcast, you can do so by joining the Patreon community. It's £5 a month, and for that you get early access to the episodes as soon as I record them. You also get the video recordings of these episodes that aren't available anywhere else. And it also allows me to keep this podcast ad-free. I don't want to interrupt these stories to try and sell you things. I don't want advertisements to get in the way of talking about mental health. I want to keep this show independent, and the Patreon allows me to do exactly that. You can also be a part of a Patreon community that's ever-growing and expanding, and it's filled with people who are passionate about talking about mental health, about getting into these deeper conversations. And hopefully as that community grows, there'll be all other sorts of behind-the-scenes content and different things that I'll be able to offer you for your money. If that sounds like something you'd like to be involved in, there's a link in the episode notes to get to the sign-up page, or you can go to patreon.com slash propermentalpodcast. And please know that any and all support is hugely appreciated. Thank you very much for listening. Welcome to the Proper Mental Podcast. Normalising open and honest conversations about mental health by having open and honest conversations about mental health. to episode 150 of the Proper Mental Podcast. And because it's episode 150, I've got something a little bit different for you this week. And I'm not really sure if 150 episodes is an actual milestone or not, but it kind of feels like one, so I wanted to mark it in some way. And I've been lucky enough, I suppose, to tell my own story in a lot of different places. It's been a long time since I've talked about it here on Proper Mental. I have done it once, it was really early on, it was episode 7, I think, was my own episode. And at that time, I had a really limited understanding of my own mental health. I didn't have the vocabulary that I do now, I hadn't done any of the work to explore what had really been going on. Um, I was only a few months post-breakdown, I was newly medicated, and I was still figuring it all out, it was all very new. How I talk about it now, versus how I talk about it then, is very, very different. And recently I've been getting asked a lot about my experience and I realised it's a long time since I talked about it here on this platform, which is obviously where most people would go looking to hear that story. So this kind of feels like a good time to put something out about me. And I didn't want to do a solo episode and just waffle on for an hour. That feels self-indulgent. I think it would really be boring for you to listen to. It would certainly be boring for me to record. So I was thinking, well, how can I do it? And last year I guested on a wonderful podcast called Full of Beans. It's hosted by my friend Hannah. Uh, She's also a previous guest on Proper Mental. She was episode 101, I think. And it was one of my favourite podcast appearances. And Hannah was good enough to let me have the audio, so that's what you're going to be listening to today. And Hannah is just an incredible host. She asked really good questions. She really listens to the answers. And she's got a lot of her own wonderful insight from her own experiences. And she kind of, she took me somewhere different when we were chatting. I've done a lot of podcasts, I've guested on a lot. And I tend to talk about a lot of the same things. But I found myself telling stories to Hannah that I hadn't really told anywhere else. I found myself going a bit deeper into it than I usually do. And it was really lovely. And it's just a a much more updated, a more honest, a more real version of what happened to me. Why I started this podcast and why I'm so passionate about all aspects of mental health and mental illness. Huge thank you to Hannah for having me on her show in the first place and for sharing this audio and let me put it out. I really appreciate it, Han. 
go and check out Fuller Beans. It's a wonderful podcast. Hannah is amazing at what she does. And I can't recommend it highly enough. You can get Fuller Beans wherever you're listening to this podcast. And I've put a link in the episode notes to Hannah's website. I'm also putting out episode 151 today. That's kind of in a companion piece with this one. And if you're interested, you can go and check that out. But this is episode 150 of the Proper Mental Podcast. And it's me guesting on Full of Beans. Thank you very much for listening. Enjoy. Today I'm joined by Tom Davies. Tom is the host of Proper Mental Podcast, where he aims to normalise conversations around mental health. Tom joins us today for a very special episode this week to discuss his mental health experience for Suicide Awareness Month. Hello, Tom. Hi, Han. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm good, mate. I'm good. Yeah, I'm having a I'm having a good day. Good. Yeah, it's a good good day. Looking forward to this conversation. Yeah. No, it's, I think it's so funny how like we literally spoke for the first time last week and now we're speaking again i feel like i've, I've like suddenly know you so quickly <laughs> yeah just hanging out together yeah, and, <laughs> yeah passing the time absolutely yeah, yeah. yeah yeah well thank you so much for for joining us today i think today's going to be a bit of a different episode than what we're used to um on full of beans but i think such an important one um in terms of suicide awareness um i think it really kind of fits with eating disorders a lot. I'm sure a lot of listeners can resonate with it. Um, so it's a conversation we really need to be having. So I guess to start us off, do you want to tell us a little bit about Proper Mental and how you started that and kind of the, the aims that you have behind that? Yeah, sure. Um, I, it it kind of came about really, um, and I'm sure we'll talk about my mental health experience um, in a bit, but as I was getting out the other side of a really tough few years, <laughs> Um, and until that point, I hadn't really spoken about my mental health to anyone. And even though I was, I was getting better, you know, I was recovering, but I was still not really telling anyone, um, what was, what was going on with me. And I slowly started to, I decided to be a bit more honest about it. I started to not be afraid of it and stop. Um, you know, at the time I was off work, right. So I'd signed myself off, um, off work. I'm self-employed and I'd closed, closed down my business to take some time to just figure stuff out and, and get well, essentially. Um, and I just, yeah, I was just trying to talk about it. And I've got a friend who runs a local uh, mental health support charity, and I do a bit of work for them as part of my day job. And we started going for these these walks to talk about me coming back to work and making these these videos for him. And we just started talking, talking about that, talking about work, about life, about mental health. And um, and it was really healing. It became like a, something I really looked forward to doing. I came back from them feeling really kind of energized and it just did so much for me to be able to talk without judgment and have someone else go, oh yeah, totally. That's happened to me too. Um, and up until that point, I'd never done it. I'd never had a conversation with someone about, about mental health. And I kind of, I wanted to do that. I wanted to explore it more for myself and I wanted to do it for other people. I kind of really had this romantic idea that um, it was initially supposed to be a short series of YouTube videos. And I had this really romantic idea that someone was going to um, be in great need of hearing it and stumble down a rabbit hole at three in the morning and just find it because essentially that's kind of what I used to look for. You know, I used to be up all night on the internet, just looking for some crumb of hope that maybe I could be okay. 
and so yeah that was the plan and it kind of felt much more like a podcast as it as it went on and um yeah i just kind of i just took it and, and kept going and i've it's been incredible really it's been um it's been very good for me it started off much more about me and now it's very much for uh for other people i suppose but yeah that's kind of where it where yeah. it came from the idea really is just to speak to as many different people as possible about as many different experiences and i think even if you know even if you haven't had the same experience as someone then you can find some commonality in it right so you, whether it's uh i will say that we we all break in different ways but it's a lot of the same stuff that comes out and underneath all these different diagnoses underneath all the 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 illness and the chaos and everything that comes with it it tends to be a very human experience you know it's the same thoughts feelings and emotions that are out of control or buried or hidden or whatever but um yeah that's the idea reality is uh just this this platform of of relatable conversations from from all angles yeah i think you're totally right like having the sort of ability to listen to somebody else talk about something you know i think any kind of mental health issue can feel so lonely and isolating and like you've just said there i think being able to listen you know if you don't feel like you have somebody in your kind of family or friends that you can talk about it to even just hearing a random stranger somebody that you've never met be like this is what i'm going through right now and you know it feels pretty rubbish but this is you know how i'm navigating and stuff i think is so refreshing um and I really liked what you said about like you kind of started the podcast. It was more for you than, and now it's for other people because that I was the same with Full of Beans. It was for me to have the conversations, but actually, you know, it's helped so many other people um, with that as well. Yeah, yeah, it's a nice thing, right? It's a nice that it can it can turn into that. You know, when I um, when I was poorly, I I didn't know what it was. You know, I didn't know, I didn't have the words for these things. I didn't, I didn't know what mental health was. I had no idea that you could go to your GP for something that wasn't like a broken leg or a cold. No. I'd know it, it didn't occur to me. I, I'm, I've been very lucky. I'm touching a lot of wood here that I've never really had to go to my GP very much. Um, I wasn't even registered with one until sort of I turned 30. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah. I kind of, um, you know, I've probably only been three or four times in my adult life. So it just wasn't, that wasn't something to me it just wasn't on my radar i didn't the only mental health knowledge i had was films and tv and you know in eastenders it was always like this great big thing with a, a guy on a bridge and everyone's underneath going don't do it and it's so dramatic and emotional and i was like well that's not me you know or it's like a, a film where people are getting you know normally locked up against their will or the main villain the main serial killer is like a psychopath or yeah. you know like it's that's the only that's the only thing i knew about mental health and um just kind of yeah seeing or hearing other people talk about it and you go hang on a minute maybe i'm not completely insane you know maybe this is a thing and it has a name and and you can get help and you know it's a, like a well, the first time you realize that actually no you can get some help and you know you can maybe even be okay that's so powerful that's like a lifeline you know it's um yeah it's it's it really made a difference to me certainly yeah absolutely um where when did you kind of you know you're just saying that that you had no idea about mental health um or that you could get support over when did you realize that that was something was that when you were listening to something else or do you have a conversation with someone i um i was on instagram once and i saw a video and it was from uh, World Mental Health Day or Mental Health Month, whichever one's coming up in October, it was the October one. 
um, and I saw a video of um, like an athlete that I followed with quite a high profile and he was talking about his own experience. Um, and until that point, I never heard anyone talk about it at all. Um, because why would I? I didn't move in those circles. I didn't follow those accounts on Instagram. I followed, you know, football accounts and music accounts and all the stuff I was into. Right? I wasn't into mental health. Um, and that was the first time. So it was someone who would have been normally in my sort of sphere, someone I would have watched their content, talk about something I never would have heard anyone speak about. And I remember I was very poorly at the time. And I remember thinking, wow, that's not just me. You know, that he was describing my experience. It was, it was very, very similar. Um, and I kind of wasn't at that time, I wasn't in a place where I could explore that or where I could hold space for other people. I think as well, when we, when we tell our stories, when we talk about our experiences, we have to be very mindful of, of where we are in that journey. You know, um, a saying I've picked up along the way is, uh, share from the scar, not from the wound. Mm -hmm. And I think at that time I, I, you know, I, I couldn't have done anything with, with that, you know, with that information of knowing people talked about this stuff, but I banked it. It had a big enough effect that I was like, all right, okay, this is a thing and it's all right. And I just, I just banked that information. And I think that was probably the seed of proper mental, you know, a good sort of six months before it started. But yeah, I do. I remember I watched that video about six times on the bounce, you know, I just, I couldn't get over it. I was like, wow, this is me. And I had never seen anything like it before. That's really interesting. I mean, naively, maybe I don't think I've ever really thought about the impact that, being some maybe somebody out of like I think we spoke a bit about this on when we did um our podcast together last week in terms of somebody outside of maybe the mental health community talking about mental health um because like you have just said you know you were kind of following footballers whatever and then somebody spoke about it um I and that's you know something that maybe I've not really thought about much before in terms of how important it is for people that you know aren't necessarily mental health campaigners to talk about their mental health i think it's a really brave thing to do if it's not something you've done but actually then reaching people that you know like yourself that didn't actually realize that maybe there was an issue but by them talking about it it reached people that you know eating disorder awareness somebody with an eating disorder might not even know they have an eating disorder and they if they know they might come to full of beans but if they don't know it's going to be actresses or actors or sports people that they follow that will talk about it and i think hmm, maybe that's something i can relate to yeah definitely that's the crossover right because mm -hmm. i often think with the mental health community as amazing as it is it is one massive echo chamber mm -hmm. And, you know, I know that I can put together a really, really nice post and say, it's okay not to be okay. And I can share it on my social media and I know I'll hit all the vanity metrics, you know, it'll get loads of likes, loads of shares. People will say nice thing about my work and I'll feel really good about myself. <laughs> but if I go through all the comments and the likes, it's all people who know this stuff, you know, and I always think like, how do I reach me five years ago? in a mental health breakdown and I didn't know what one was, yeah. you know, how do I reach the guy who, who won't speak up? Cause like me, he's like scared that his wife's going to leave him or that he's going to take his, have his kids taken away from him. You know, how do I, how do I get in his ears? Because he doesn't follow me on social media. He doesn't know my podcast exists. And I think that's the, that's the challenge. And that will always be the challenge, right? It's how do we cross over? Um, you know, it, 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 it can almost be sometimes it feels like either there's everyone who talks about it and there's everyone who doesn't mm. and there's not a great deal of, of crossover. But, um, yeah, that's the that's the challenge. And I think the more like you said, it's great when people with profile talk, um, you know, that really, really reaches people. Um, and just the things that they're out there, the more things there are. Right. There's got to be 
something for everyone that not everyone is going to like my podcast, but as long as there's loads of mental health podcasts, mm -hmm. they'll find one they do, you know? And that, I think that's the, that's the most important thing is just sort of variation and just, just lots of it. And I suppose it's there when people need it. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think that is the great thing about well, that I've found anyway about sort of the mental health and the podcasting community is that, you know, it's not, it's not competitive in like, you know, oh, well, I'm an eating disorder podcast, so I don't want to speak to anybody else. Because like you've just said, this podcast might not be someone's cup of tea, but as long as it's a resource for somebody, I think that's where it's really important. Um, you mentioned there about your like five years ago and like being in a mental health breakdown. So I really wanted to chat to you about your experience. Um, so do you want to kind of like paint the scene of what was going on for you at that time? Yeah, sure. It's, um, I mean, now I know I've been in therapy pretty much since then off and on. And I now kind of know that I struggled with my mental health most of my life, you know, certainly through my teens, definitely, uh, maybe before that. Um, but I was always an anxious child, always had trouble expressing or experiencing my emotions. Um, I used to experience sort of big patches of low moods, which I now think were probably depression, you know, through my teens, but I didn't know what that stuff was. I thought that was me. I thought it was my personality. I thought that was weird. Right. And I had to hide that at all costs, especially as a teenage boy, when it's about you sort of, you blend in to survive, right. As a teenager. Um, so that was kind of, that was how I lived really. Um, sort of shape-shifting, you know, putting on different masks for different situations, never really a clear idea of who I was and what I wanted to do. And I think that's definitely fueled my anxiety over the, over the years. And um, eventually we get to 2016 and the, the birth of my son. And I think how I like to understand it is by that point, I'd been living life so unauthentically and I was doing so much stuff that was not very good for me, both mentally and physically, I had no space to absorb the change. So when this, this, like this baby arrived in my life and suddenly I'm not Tom anymore, I'm dad. And just the, all the normal stuff that comes with having a new baby, the fear, the, the worry, the stress, the sleepless nights, all of that stuff that's completely normal. Well, I couldn't cope with that. I had nothing left. And I, and yeah, I just broke. It was too much for me. You know, it's, um, I had too much to worry about. I was too worried about my wife. I was too worried about being a good dad. It was just, um, it, I was just kind of overwhelmed. I think just too, too much going on. I couldn't, I couldn't cope with it. And that's, yeah, that's when the kind of wheels came off. I think up until that time there'd been a leak in the basement. And when Reese was born, that was when the pipe just burst and everything, everything flooded. And then of course, like I couldn't say anything, you know, my wife had just been through labor how could I say to her, you're like, you know, oh, I feel a bit down to be honest, babe. You know, she's like just carried a person for nine months and given birth. It just really didn't seem appropriate. So it's a case of, you know, just, just push it down, you know, just crack on, keep going, toughen up, get through it. Um, and I did that for a long time, did that for a long, long time. And, um, we'd have sort of good days and, and bad days and a lot of, a lot of up and down, but on the whole, I kind of kept it together. Um, and then we, uh, we had another baby really close together. So, um, when my son was 10 months old then Kim fell pregnant again, so then we kind of went through it all again. Um, and you know, then everything just ramped up. Everything was twice as hard. The second one wasn't a particularly straightforward pregnancy. There was a lot of worry about that one. And that was quite a scary time in itself. Um, and yeah, and then things started to go 
really, really wrong. And um, I was working for the NHS at the time. It's before I was self-employed and I started to get a little bit in trouble in work because I couldn't sort of, I couldn't show up. I couldn't get stuff done. I couldn't concentrate and different aspects of my life started to crumble. You know, it was clear that I was no longer holding this stuff together. Um, and yeah, that kind of took me to a place really. Uh, that would have been at the end of 2018, I think I, that was the first time I left the house with the intention of taking my own life. We'd kind of, I'd kind of got to the point where it's like, well, I don't know what to do. You know, I can't go on like this. I can't go back. You know, that's the, it, yeah, there was just nowhere left, left to go. And the first time I thought about it, I was really shocked. You know, this like thought just popped into my head. It's like, you know, there's one way to stop all this right now, all this goes away. And I scared myself, you know, like even, even though it was my own thought, I sort of pushed it away very, very quickly, but it kept coming back. And if you expose yourself to anything, you know, if you watch enough horror movies, you'll stop jumping at the jumpy bits, right? You just get used to it. And I just kind of got used to these thoughts and, um, it gave me a strangely a real sense of calm, you know, when I decided, right, this is it, I'm done. I'd been looking for an option for so long. And this felt like it. it felt like I'd cracked the code. Um, so yeah, so the first time I left the house with those intentions, it didn't happen as with a lot of things in mental health, it kind of just shifts, you know, my plan was that particular day. Um, I took my son out for a day and my plan was to bring him home, give him one last really good day. You know, he could remember his dad, a real positive and then bring him home. And I was going to go back out. And at some point during that day, we just had a really lovely day together. And it just passed like these things do one minute is everything. And the next minute's nothing. And, you know, I took him home and I did bath and I did bed and I did all that stuff. And it was only later I was sat in front of the telly with a cup of tea and it was like, oh, hang on a minute, <laughs> you know, I'm supposed to be elsewhere, you know, I'm supposed to be uh, taking care of business and it just kind of passed. Um, and those wobbles just kept, just sort of kept happening really. Um, but not long after that, my wife had, or maybe even before that, the timeline's a little dodgy, but um, my wife had sort of spoken to me and said, you know, you're not right. You know, um, something's going on. You need to kind of get some help. And um, she asked if I'd go to the doctor and um, I wouldn't. I was very reluctant to, but I said to her, you know, I'll fix this. I'll fix this myself. You know, that's my role. I'm the man of the family. I'll get this sorted. And I started doing more of the stuff that you're supposed to do, you know, taking better care of myself physically. I was doing a lot of yoga um, you know, all those sorts of stuff. And that kind of kept a lid on it for a little bit, but that's not healing, right? That was, if anything, that was kind of distracting me from the work that I needed to do. And we just, we went along like that for a long time of me telling Kim that I was fine when I really, really wasn't. And, um, on bad days, I'd do more yoga and I'd try and meditate more. And, um, we just kind of, kind of drifted. And that carried on for a couple of years. Um, that was really tough. That was really tough on more on Kim. I think that's, that's my biggest regret. It's kind of what I put the family through. Um, and we get to 2020 and the weirdly, the pandemic actually had no impact on my mental health. I kind of, um, I was really lucky in that I had quite a nice time through lockdown. I think I wasn't allowed to say that for a long time, but I'm allowed to say it now. I think enough time's passed. Um, but what one thing's life slowing down made me realize is all the stuff that I was doing in my life that I didn't like doing. I was doing a lot of stuff that I didn't like doing and slowing down and not doing it allowed me to find some peace. It allowed me to find some happiness and start to kind of like, get into this, this thing inside me that needed examining and needed 
bringing out into the light, I kind of managed to get a bit closer to understanding that. And then, of course, the world goes back to normal. And I just jumped straight back in. You know, I knew what I didn't want to do. I didn't know how to change it. And I jumped straight back into my old life. Um, and I managed to make it through the summer. And that October, October 2020, um, I got really, really ill. And my therapist said to me, um, you know, the things you are saying. I was in a therapy session. I was very upset. And he said, the things you are saying are not right. And he said, I'm genuinely worried about your welfare. And we need to take action now. This is, you know, this needs dealing with. And he said to me, um, what in your life right now is non-negotiable? What can you walk away from? And I said, the only thing that's non-negotiable is Kim and the kids. And he said, cool, everything else goes. And I just stopped doing everything else. I closed my business. Um, I just stopped and I just kind of just hung out at home, trying to sleep, trying to eat, trying to figure out what this was, working the therapy process pretty hard. And I just couldn't find the answers. And I just got more and more lost and things just got, took a turn for the worst. I think as soon as I stopped pretending and admitted that I was poorly, then it became quite apparent how little hope there was and I, how I didn't have a clue what I was going to, what I was going to do with it. Um, and that's when the sort of the suicidal ideation really came back. Um, and I just couldn't get past it. It seemed like the only, the only solution. And I kind of came up with this, with this plan. I started getting everything ready for it to happen. And my family are from Wales. That's where I'm from originally. It's about a four hour drive from here. And I'd said to Kim that I just needed some space from her and the kids. Um, and I was going to go back to my mum's for a bit just for a couple of days. And the, the plan was, is that when I drove down to Wales, I'd have said goodbye to my wife and my children. And then I'd have a weekend at home. And when I left home, I'd have said goodbye to my mom and dad and my aunties and all that. And I'd have a little four hour window where I'd said goodbye to everyone in my life that, you know, that, that mattered all the people closest to me. And that was, you know, that was my plan. I was kind of, that's when I was going to go. And that was all set. And I was kind of, uh, yeah, doing all the stereotypical things, really. I was making sure everything was in order, you know, making sure that it would be the, the simplest route. Um, and I just happened to the, the day before or the morning of that I was supposed to go on that drive. I happened to have a conversation with my auntie and we talked about, so my auntie, she's only like 13 years older than me. So we've always been close. She's always been like the cool young auntie, you know, and um, we've talked about mental health before. She tried to, and I'd said, no, no, I'm fine. I just need some sleep, which was my usual answer. And, um, but she's an occupational health nurse and she works in a factory with like 500 blokes. And a big part of her job is, is signposting them to get help and looking after them and being the first point of contact when they're not doing very well. And I think she could just see, she could just see it in me, maybe when everyone else couldn't. And, um, she brought it up and we sort of talked about it and she started talking about medication. And until that point, I'd never considered it. I was so, I'd listened so much to the stigma around it you know, and all the people saying all the bad things. I was like, no, I can't go down that route. I can't do it. And she sort of told me about, about her doing it again, relatable experiences. Right. And she told me about a patch of illness that she'd had that I knew nothing about and how meds had got her through it. And then she stopped doing them on the other side and everything was great. And, um, and I kind of thought, well, I haven't tried them yet. I've tried everything else. And I felt confident saying I'd tried everything else. And I was like, well, if I'm going to do this, my babies need to know that daddy did everything he could before he checked out. And I thought, well, there's one box left to tick. So I said, cool, let's give it six weeks. You know, let's, let's try. Um, yeah. And I phoned Kim and I said, can you get in touch with, with my doctor and uh, make me an appointment? 
and then yeah when i drove drove back that's the first thing we did i spoke to the doctor on the phone it was all phone stuff still then at the end of end of 2020 and it happened really really quick and i didn't want to do it i didn't want to you know kim did everything you know she kind of she put the phone in my hand when it was ringing she went and picked up the prescription she put the first pill in my mouth um and i washed it down with a big sip of water and i just sobbed i felt like such a failure you know in all aspects of um and now i look it was that 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 was when i started to win you know that's when i took control back but at the time i just felt yeah i just felt felt dreadful and um and it was those those pills that brought me back to life you know with it really quickly i think a lot of it was placebo because it happened so quickly so i got all the side effects but i felt better really quickly and i mean like 10 years younger i had energy i had you know i just it was the change was unbelievable and i think i'd been so desperate for help and i'd been looking in all these places that weren't tangible i'd been looking in yoga and meditation and reading self-help books but to have an actual physical like box of pills from someone who said there you go take these that seemed to really work for me um and I, yeah i was back on my feet within you know within a matter of days i felt better and um yeah i remember that christmas i remember kim said to me um the first time in years she said for the first time in years i feel like i've got my husband back and that was, um, yeah, that was incredible. That was incredible. And that's kind of, sorry, that was a really long, <laughs> long version, but yeah, that's kind of how it, kind of how it happened. It's sort of over, it's sort of five, five or six years worth in, in there. And, um, yeah, I think to some extent, I'm still figuring some of it out, you know, still figuring some of it out, but, um, yeah, that's kind of, that's how it happened for me anyway. Well, I'm really grateful for you sharing that, um, I think I was welling up a bit at, at points, so I do apologise. Um, but I think the fact that you're now able to share that experience with others will, you know, it's absolutely incredible. Um, and, you know, thank goodness that your auntie suggested that medication because it sounds like that was such a big part of you sort of thinking, you know, okay, maybe this is the one last thing I can try. And sometimes I think that's all we need is like one little glimmer of like, yeah, potentially there's some hope there. Because I think hopelessness, I think, can be such a difficult thing in that situation. Yeah, that's it. It's when we run out of options, isn't it? Mm. That's when our our thoughts start to go down that certain route is when we think that there is no other no other options and there's always other options, yeah. always. You know, that's um, that's something that I, I will you know, I'll stand by a hundred percent and it doesn't have to be medication. That's not for everyone. I don't yeah. advocate for or against, you know, it, it particularly worked for me. Um, and I know for a lot of people it hasn't, but that doesn't mean that there isn't anything. There will always be something always, always, always. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I, I agree. I think sometimes, you know, I've tried medication in the past and it didn't work. Um, and I think sometimes I found it interesting what you said about, um, kind of feeling like a failure when you tried the medication for the first time but actually that was when you started winning um it's so interesting isn't it that perspective of you know being a failure because of almost you needing the help um but actually taking that help is really really important in that situation um and i wanted to ask a bit more about because you you mentioned it a couple of times when you're talking about sort of being a man um, and the like masculinity aspect of it. Um, how do you think that that made it more difficult for you or, or, or did it make it more difficult for you to talk about it um, than maybe, you know, being a woman and the different roles that, 
that are in play. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. Like my own experience of it is really, really interesting because I, before all this and still now, I would not have, I'm not a man's man, right? I'm, I'm, I'm soft. I'm really in touch with my feminine sides. I don't like, you know, I don't drink pints and go to football and do all this stereotypical bloke stuff, right? Um, so I never really thought of myself because I wasn't like a lad. Um, I didn't really think. So when I wasn't speaking, when I wasn't talking, I never thought it was like, oh, it's because, you know, because I don't want to be seen as weak. Cause I'm fine with being seen as, as weak. Do you know what I mean? That's not a problem for me. But I would always put that in like more physical terms or, but in reality, I must have really wanted to be seen as being strong because I wouldn't tell anyone that I was struggling. So it, it must have been a part, you know, and I very much wanted to be a, not so much a, a strong man's man, but I certainly wanted to be someone that my wife could rely on. You know, I felt that I needed to fix this myself and get it done because I wanted to be there for her and I wanted to be an inspiration to my kids. And, you know, so it kind of worked for me in that way rather than the more more conventional, you know, lads not talking type of thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's so complicated. It's so, so complicated. So I think for me, the biggest thing, I didn't know what was happening and I didn't have the words. How can you ask for help if you don't have the words, you know, when you don't know what is happening? And um, yeah, I just, I was just so worried. I was like, oh, if I don't seem strong and capable, then maybe my wife will leave me, you know, maybe if I don't, I don't know who they is. I don't know who was going to take my kids, but I was like, I was always like, ah, oh, they can't take my kids. If anyone finds out what's going on in my head, they're going to take my kids. I don't know who they was. I don't know like what was going to happen. Um, but that was a big worry, you know, that I wouldn't be seen fit to be a dad. Um, you know, and obviously I'm self-employed and I work with clients. I work one-to-one -one with clients and it was like, well, if people, no one's going to want to go and work with the mad guy. So then I'm going to lose my business. And it was much more about like protecting all these, all these roles that I felt that I had to play. Um, because, you know, I suppose by society standards, anyone different is quite often ostracized, you know, anyone that's not the norm. That was certainly my experience. Like I mentioned before, trying to like blend in as a teenager and, you know, I really just didn't want to put, pop my head up and say, you know, like, oh yeah, you know, there's, I've had all these weird thoughts and feelings. And, uh, and then again, you hear other people talk and you go, oh, they're not weird at all. They're just completely <laughs> the normal. They're a little out of control at the moment. I don't quite understand them, but I'm not experiencing anything here that other people haven't experienced countless times and i think also like you said at the start sort of with the whole like mental health and maybe not having much awareness about it the awareness comes from the tv and like you said you know mental health is often stigmatized as i think you often see people worst case scenario but e even the worst case scenario often isn't like a true representation of what it's like um so I think that's definitely kind of something that needs to change. Um, and like, I don't want this to sound insensitive at all, but I like, I really want to ask the question more to like, understand what your thought process was. And so please don't think that I'm being no, insensitive. No, go for it, mate. Um, but you were saying kind of how, like, um, with the kind of like masculinity aspect of it, you kind of, you know, you wanted to be there as somebody that your wife could rely on and be there for your children why did at the time i mean i know that it's not as easy as like you know a simple thought process but why did not being here feel like the better option yeah i mean that's a really really good question and um it's something i kind of thought about 
a lot, but I think I, my self-worth had got to the point where it was like, they'd be better off without me. You know, they'd be better off. If I check out now, then, um, you know, Kim can meet someone else and she's going to meet this guy and he'll be a really, really great dad and he'll really look after them, you know, and he won't be, um, he won't like behave the way that I behave and think the way that I think. And he won't bring all this trouble to the door, so to speak. So I think it was more kind of, um, um, yeah, it was like, I did, I just didn't feel up to the job. I didn't feel worthy of it. I didn't feel like I was good enough. Um, so the idea of just not being there, you know, I used to say really, really quite not nice things to my wife. And it was to, there was, there was two reasons. I think part of me was trying to push her away. You know, part of me was trying to get her to leave because then I, then I could go then, you know, then I could go and do what I wanted to do. If I wanted to go and die, I could go and die because I didn't have to, you know, it took the guilt out of, out of the situation. And then I think the other part of me really wanted her to step in. I wanted someone to save me. I didn't have the words for what was happening. So if I thought like, if I really let the bizarre, bizarreness just spill out of me, then someone's got to step in and save me, right? Someone's got to come in and take control of this. But if you don't tell people you need help, they can't help you. It doesn't matter how bizarre you act. It doesn't matter how nasty you are or what you say or whether you make jokes about it. If you don't ask for help, people can't help you. If you haven't told someone what's going on with you, they can't step in and save you. That's not how it works, you know? And so I even wanted to I did, it was so hard. Didn't want to admit that something was wrong. I'd try and behave in ways that would make someone else do it for me. You know, that was my way of avoiding doing the work that I kind of deep, deep, deep down. I knew, I knew I had to do this work. I knew I had to make some changes to myself, but the idea of that was so scary. I was trying to kind of almost manipulate people into doing it for me. Um, so yeah, it kind of just, then you show those sorts of character traits and then it's something else to beat myself up about, you know? So it's like, oh, I'm talking to my wife like this. I'm trying to get this reaction out of her. You know, I, I you know, I, sh I shouldn't be around anymore. I shouldn't be behaving like this. And it just feeds that narrative of, I shouldn't be here. I should go. I should go. I should go. It's actually so interesting. Um, you know what you're saying about at the start, how like, you know, everything is sort of the same, but it's not the same. Um, and as you were just speaking then, I was just thinking about like my experience with an eating disorder and, that kind of, you know, internally screaming, please help me and doing, you know, behaviours that, you know, you, you think are so obvious to people to help, but not actually saying I need help. That just, I think all mental help me. Um, and also like when you said it, I was like, well, yeah, that's, that's really obvious. Like, obviously you need to say, please can I have some help? Um, but I think when you're in it, when you're in that moment, it's really difficult. And I think, you know, it can almost feel a bit scary to say, I need help. Um, because whatever, you know, you're doing, whatever behavior it is, it's almost, it feels slightly protective in a sense. And it's almost, you don't want somebody to step in because then they're going to stop you doing what you think you should do. But equally, you do want somebody to step in because there's like a glimmer of, I really want to get out of this. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. And like, once you, if you, ask for help or if someone comes in to help you then everything yeah. changes right and it's like now i've got to address this i've been hiding this for so long i don't want people to to find out well if i ask for help they're going to find out and then what's going to happen and i you know i often think that that's part of the 
whether it's the awareness conversation or the, you know, the, I don't know what the, the terminology would be, but part of the conversation is when people ask for help, what comes next? Let's talk about that. Let's talk about that bit. Because I thought immediately, if I opened my mouth, I was going to get sections, you know, like straight away. If I went to my doctor, next thing you know, I'd be getting like locked up. I'd be in an institution, you know, and of course I pictured that like one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Cause that's the only reference I had for any sort of like medical center. And then at least if I could, at least if Kim stepped in and put me in that position, at least I could blame her, you know, at least I could like push that anger and responsibility onto onto someone else, you know, and be like, you got me locked up, you know, like it's all about kind of not wanting to deal with, and it is, it's protective. It is protective. It's your body. For me, it was, I think a lot of my brain had put these, these ways of being, these ways of behaving all through my life to protect me, to keep me safe. And then suddenly they weren't working anymore. And then they were a bit out of control, but, um, and it's, you know, mm-hmm. being in your own mess is familiar, right? So it might be where I am right now is awful, but I've been here a long time and I know every inch of this awful. So as soon as I ask for help, as soon as something changes, it might be a new awful and it might be worse. (laughs) You know, it might be a worse awful. (laughs) So maybe I'll just stay where I am. (laughs) I I mean, everything you're saying is like unbelievably relatable, but I think that is just so right in that I'm comfortable right now. It might be horrifically horrible to be here but at least I know what's happening um and I think that's what makes recovery from any mental health condition really hard is you don't know what is in the future you know it's you know if you think about it logically it's probably going to be better um but I think uh, you know a lot of mental health conditions come with the like fear of the unknown and um I was only saying to my therapist the other day um we were chatting about like rules and things that I have to stick by. She was like, and what happens if you break those rules? And I was like, I don't know. My brain doesn't go that far. It's just like, you have to do this. And then and she was like, okay, so can we, can we like break it down? And I was like, well, I, I genuinely don't even know where to start because I, I don't know what the problem is, but you know, there's a reason why I can't do that. And I think that's the same as kind of going into recovery and treatment is that fear of, I have no idea where this could take me. Yeah, definitely. I have very similar conversations in my therapy sessions. And I say, well, I just don't know. (laughs) I just just don't know, but but I can't. And like you say, when someone says, why can't you just try? And it's Mm -hmm. because there's never been any other way. You know, there's like, to me, it's not an option that exists. It's just always been my response. And, you know, something that I find whenever I have like, not whenever, but at times when I've had quite severe wobbles and blips is quite often when I witness um, people doing the stuff that I can't bring myself to do the stuff that's locked up in me, that stuff where I say I can't, because I don't know if the reason is another, another way of doing it. And sometimes when I see that in other people, it really kind of, um, you know, it makes me crash, you know, because you kind of, it's there, people can do it. Why can't I be like that? Why can't I, um, you know, why can't I be that free? Why am I so locked in my own, in my own space? And, you know, and then of course, what you really want to do when that happens is double down on it. Right. So for a long time, I, um, I really did the whole, I don't need anyone, you know, I'm one of life solo artists and I am genuinely, I am an introvert and I'm very happy in my own company, you know? Um, but I'd wear that as a badge of honor, you know, I'd be, uh, you know, I don't need, I don't need people around me. I just do my own thing. I'm a renegade, you know, I'm a maverick. I do whatever I want, (laughs) but really what he was saying, I don't know how to communicate with people. I don't know how to be myself around other people. I don't know how to, I don't know how to talk and interact and do what normal people do. And rather than admit that or try and change that, I'll just pretend that I don't want that. Um, and then I cut a really, really isolated path and loneliness was massive. 
um, massive in in what happened to me. You know, very very much so. I'd no one. If it was a one you asked for set, one you asked for help. I was like, well, who? You know, I couldn't ask my wife. I didn't want to scare her. You know, who, who else? <laughs> I didn't really have anyone to ask. So it's uh, yeah. It's, so well, how it's how did you kind of come to the point where you thought, okay, well, you, you know, you mentioned going to the doctor, but did you manage to find the words, or was it something that took quite a while? Um, the, the, the doctor bit was actually really easy for me. I think because of the time it was COVID, it was all over the phone. Um, it just, it was a matter of matter of minutes. And I said, you know, I'd, I'd been in therapy for a long time and I kind of had some understanding really of what was going on. And I said, yeah, I've been, um, very, very depressed for a very, very long time. I've had suicidal thoughts. Um, you know, and she said something like, you know, what's been going on to get you to this place? And, you know, I had a birth of my son and, you know, I'm quite lonely. And I think the phrase I used was like typical. I said to her, you know, all the usual uh, typical 40-year-old bloke stuff, you know, <laughs> because that tends to be what happens to uh, to men of my age. You know, it's one of the massive, um, like the environmental factors around all these statistics about men's mental health. Um, so it was really, really quick. I had it easy in that respect. I didn't have to go in and make eye contact. I didn't have to go in and explain myself. Um, you know, it was relatively, relatively simple and, um, yeah, like, cause everything kicked in so quick, um, you know, like a month or so in, I like, I stopped the therapy and everything. I was like, I know I've got work to do, but this has been so awful for so long. And now I feel okay. I just need some okay for a bit. I just need some okay. I feel like myself, I've got energy. I want to repair the damage I've done with my wife. I want to reestablish my, you know, my, my role as, as being a good dad. I just, now is not the time. And if these pills are a placebo and if it, if it is just masking stuff, I don't give a shit because this is just, it's nice to be me again. Um, and I did that for a long time. I kind of had a good sort of year, maybe 18 months where I was just like, yeah, whatever sounds, I know this worked. I'll do it later. I'll do it later. Um, and I just enjoyed, you know, I just enjoyed and it was lovely. And then, yeah, I got to a point where I was like, right, cool. I like, this stuff to do let's let's do it let's um let's get back in there but i'd had long enough behind me and i had systems in place which is a different story some of the best advice i've ever been given um by a guest on the podcast actually uh, natasha danvers who is a um olympic medal winner back in the day and she said to me when you when your brain is well put things in place for when your brain isn't because you're not well brain can't make those decisions. It can't think. So your well brain has to put the stuff in place so that when you're not well, you just fall into your systems. And, and that's what I was able to do. I had that patch where I just kind of, you know, made sure I found out what worked for me. I found out what I needed. I found out, you know, there's things I need around me. And then it was like, right, okay, now I can risk being poorly again because I know I've got something in place. Um, and for a long time I had that, I really had a fear around it. My biggest fear was getting sick again. And I wouldn't do anything to jeopardize that, like nothing at all. Um, and I really kind of, I felt like I was holding myself back in life because I wouldn't go for new opportunities. I was like, well, what if this is too big and it rocks the boat and I get sick again? You know, so do you want to do this? Oh, I couldn't possibly do that. What if it, you know, what if I get too tired and I get run down and then I get sick again? And it was only when I got to a point where I was like, I can't hold myself back in life anymore. I, I want to experience like every ounce of this experience this thing we call life and i can't do it if i'm holding myself back and i just need to be brave and 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 have another go you know and that's kind of where i am now with it that's i think that advice is brilliant moment. um 
um, one of my friends says that to me all the time. Like if he texts me and um, he's like, how are you doing? And I'm like, oh, I'm really great. And he's like, and, and are you kind of like, you know, not to put a downer on things, but are you working? And I'm like, oh no, I completely forgot about that. Because it, you don't want to, do you? When you're in that really good place, you really don't want to think about the times that you were in a bad place. But, you know, like you've just said, it actually helps so much to do that and to kind of focus on how can I kind of stay in this area or pick myself up um and I also think you know what you just said about holding back and not wanting to try things I I definitely was the same and always thought like oh you know I'm really happy here right now so I need to stay here um but actually uh, what I found I don't know whether you found the same was that sometimes I would do something and it would kind of make things slip a little bit and I'd kind of beat myself up about that you know you, you've obviously not tried hard enough because you're going back but it was the bounce back that I noticed that was better or you know the things I'd put in place like rather than kind of doing something and then engaging in it and not telling anybody I'd like ring my mum and say I've just done this I'm really not proud of it but like I don't want this to carry on um so it's almost like acknowledging the change as well if if you do do something that you know causes the behavior to come back acknowledging that change and managing it differently than you did before i think that's been something really important that i've found yeah definitely i (laughs) I love this idea of like celebrating small wins and if you celebrate enough small wins and stack them all up you'll end up with a big one right and yeah like going for me going into like a depressive episode and having a bit of a like a blip or a disturbance or whatever you want to call it um yeah it's you know it's it's not great but i kind of now i know it's happening i know what's going on i know what to do about it you know the first thing you do is i say to my wife you're saying like i think i'm having a bit of a rough you know bit of a rough patch and um and that, that that's enough you know that's enough she knows that um you know she'll she'll just sort of carry my end, I suppose, a little bit with some of the things that need, need doing in the family and just give me that time and that space to do what I need to do. Uh, the big thing for me was learning. Like I used to go from naught to 60, so I'd have a bad day. And my first response to a bad day was like, I think I'm going to kill myself. Like it just like that. It was no, you know, that was my first response. Oh no, here we go again. This is the only, this is the only thing to, to get me out of it. Whereas like, yeah, like you say, now I kind of know, I know what I need to do and I know to just ride it out and it will pass. It always does. If anyone's listening who is in something, it passes. I don't know how, I don't know why, you know, sometimes it doesn't pass for very long, but it does. There's always a shift. There's always, it has to be, nothing stays the same. I think that's so important. And that's why I really liked your example that you gave earlier about taking your son out for the day and then you got home and you were like, well, I've just realized that like, you know, I'm, I'm still here. Um, I think that speaks so much to that sort of situation. Um, I, I wanted to ask you about your, your kids as well. So obviously you've got your son and your daughter. Um, do you share anything with your kids or kind of, is that completely separate for you? Um, we don't, Hmm. I, I wouldn't say I go out of my way to share it. You know, my yeah. kids are six and four, about to be six and five. Um, and, you know, they don't have the context. They don't necessarily have the, the hmm. words and the understanding, but we certainly don't hide anything from them either. Um, that's our approach to all sorts of, all sorts of like aspects of parenting, really. Um, yeah, but the, like their emotional capacity is like, it's incredible, really. I, I remember one, it's like a really beautiful story and, it was a time I would have been ashamed of this. And now I'm really, really proud of it. But I remember having a bad day 
and uh my son would have been i don't know maybe three he was small eh? and i just i was just overwhelmed and i was just sad and it was one of those days where you just can't keep a cork on the tears you know they just keep coming and you don't know why and i just i was feeling myself get more and more upset and i went out into the garden and um I just sort of sat opposite our kitchen door, sat on my back against the wall. And I was just having a cry, you know, just like a silent, a silent cry. And um, Reese had followed me out and he just kind of like, he just wandered out and he said something like, you know, what are you doing, dad? And I said, oh, daddy's just taking a minute. He's just a little bit upset. And he didn't say anything. He just wandered over and he just sat on my lap on the floor and I carried on crying and he just sat there and he just sat and he didn't say anything. He didn't do anything. He just sat and, you know, after like a, a minute or so, I kind of, it, it, it shifted and I gave him a little hug and he was like, are you all right, mate? And I said to him, are you all right, mate? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I'm good. I said to him, should we go in back inside? And he said, yeah, come on then. And we just went out and he just sat with me. That's all he did. And, you know, I think quite often with children, we kind of think that we need them to like protect and hide them from this stuff, but we don't. One thing kids are great at is, is openly showing their emotions. <laughs> you know, they, they, under, he probably understood that much more than if I'd have tried to explain it to him or anything like that so you know yeah we'll say stuff like you know i'll say if i'm having a bit of a bad day or a bit upset i've cried in front of both of my kids that's not um you know that doesn't you know i think it's good to good to show them that 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 happens you know um yeah it's like yeah we don't so yeah i'm not like giving them like powerpoint presentations and getting them to listen to my podcast but um at the same time we don't you know we don't um yeah we don't we don't hide it from them or, or anything like that. And they ask about mental health. Risa talks about mental health in school. And the main thing, really, I, I, my main focus is trying to, um, trying to make sure that they, they don't, um, go down the similar stuff, right. Of, um, so that's the best way to say it. So I really try and like validate how my son is feeling. For example, he's the, he's the softer one. So if we're going to school, walking to school and he says like, oh, dad, I'm a bit nervous about going to school. Well, the worst thing that I can say is like, ah, you'll be fine once you get there because that's telling him that his, his emotions aren't valid in that situation. You know? So we say things like, um, like, well, that's very, really, really nervous to be normal, mate. I said, sometimes when daddy goes to work, I feel normal, feel nervous. And I'm not even sure why. So what are you nervous about? And he gets like talking about what's going on. And sometimes maybe he's had like a little falling out with someone and he doesn't want to see him. And sometimes he doesn't really know why he's nervous. And that's, you know, we've all been there. Right. And we just talk about it and we talk about how it feels and we talk about how normal it is. And we say, you know, well, do you remember when you're nervous about your swimming lessons and now you really love your swimming lessons and, you know, remind him, I said, you can do hard things, you know, and just kind of like, just validate, talk about those emotions. And I think like my approach to my kids is much more, that's the way we go with it, you know, is allow them to allow them to feel and create a space where they have no problem dropping into it and showing us how they feel, even if they can't, Absolutely. even if they can't and that talk was about sort it. Of Obviously, I was not trying to direct the question, but that was kind of what I was alluding to in terms of, um, you know, sharing that with with your kids, I think is so important. I know for me, like my dad, I think I've seen my dad cry once. Um, so growing up, you know, I didn't really think that men were that emotional. Um, and I think, you know, only through growing up with friends and, you know, friends that maybe were more aware of their emotions that, that were male, I kind of realised that, you know men do have emotions and they share that they you know can share them just as much as women so i think it's so important and like you said children well i think children are so much more aware of themselves 
completely anyway and it's almost like we hit an age where we're brainwashed by society and that's where that all kind of disappears um but you know the story that you were saying about you know you crying and your son came and he probably knew how to respond to that situation from like an automatic human response better than an adult would because an adult has so many thoughts in their head like am i doing the right thing like what if they don't respond appropriately whereas you know actually coming alongside if someone's crying and just sitting next to them and being there like i literally can't think of anything that would be more appropriate in that situation um so i think you know not only do we need to kind of demonstrate to our kids that you know talking about how you're feeling is absolutely fine but we need to kind of watch them and learn from them as well because they they know how to do it better than we do yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Yeah. I said, I remember in a therapy session once I said something like, you know, I want I was really worried about how my experience was going to affect my kids. And I said something like, um, you know, if, uh, you know, one of my biggest fears is that my son is going to end up like me, you know, in 30 years time, he's going to be like, you know, sat here going for all this stuff. And my therapist said to me, he said, if, uh, if in 30 years time, your son is self-aware enough to know that he needs therapy and he can afford <laughs> to go private, you've probably done a few things right. And I thought, Do you know what, like, <laughs> that's yeah. probably, uh, it's probably a better way of Absolutely. looking at it. Right? It's a better way of looking at it. We can't do it perfect. We can't do it. We can't do it perfect. We're going to make mistakes, but all you can do is your best. Yeah, and, uh, absolutely. And, and I think that's, that's another enough, key right? thing as well. Um, I think I said to the, this to you the other day that like the amount of self-awareness you get from going through therapy is un like is incredible. Um, so being able to pass that on to your kids, you know, I think that is an amazing trait of um, you know, being aware of how you're feeling and being able to communicate that, that, will be so helpful in life and maybe you know if you hadn't have had the experience that you've had you might not be as in touch with how you're feeling or be as aware of it and that might not be something that you pass on to your kids um to have those open conversations a hundred percent a hundred percent yeah definitely i always thought that if i if i spoke up it would push these people away right it would push my wife away push my kids away push the people i worked with away from me and when <laughs> i did start speaking it, it made it all closer you know, like my, my wife, me and my wife, we have an incredible relationship because we're really good at communicating mm -hmm. with each other because we've, we've learned to be, you know, and exactly the same with, with my kids. I'm a better dad for it because I've got a better understanding of me. That gives me a better understanding of them. And um, yeah, a hundred percent. It's um, I'd like, I wouldn't change any of it. I wouldn't change a thing because I'm definitely, um, Definitely the old me before the breakdown, I would have a hundred percent said to my son, ah, just get on with it. You'll be fine. When he was a hundred percent. I know I would have done. That's how I used, that's how I used to yeah. talk to me. <laughs> so of course that's how I would have talked to him, yeah. you know? So yeah, yeah. yeah I, love I kind of just wanted to ask yeah. you a bit about your relationship with your wife as well. Um, when you, like you were going through it and how it is now, um, how you know how did she kind of react when she found when you were able to find the words and to say about how you were feeling i i think it was really it was really hard for kim mm. because she knew something wasn't right so we've been together like from when we were quite young you know so kim would have been like i'm a little bit older than her but kim was like 19 18 19 when we met you know so we've been together like 15 16 years um so she knew she knew she knows me she knew something wasn't right but again she didn't have the words she didn't know what it was you know very very similar very similar to to my own experience of me was was hers she also had two little children in the house you know and they had to 
you know, there was many times when she was like, she was worried about me and I'd, I'd leave the, leave the house. And she'd be thinking, I don't know if he's coming back, but at the same time, like, what's she going to do? Like chase after me and not, not look, not give the kids tea or whatever it was I was leaving her to do by storming out the house. Um, so yeah, it was awful. It was awful for her. You know, it was really, um, and yeah, a few times she, she spoke to me and, and I'd always promise, I'd always promise her that I was going to get better. And, um, you know, that I wasn't lying. I was, def I was, de I was definitely, um, I was definitely trying to follow through on that promise. I really wanted to be well. I just didn't know how, I didn't know where to go. I was doing all the wrong stuff. You know, I was doing, I always think that, um, you know, self-care is amazing for us when we're well, and it's a really, all the stuff is really, really good to, to stop me falling backwards. But, you know, and it, of course it's different for anything. You've got to be so careful generalizing with this stuff. But as a rule, you know, self-care ain't, it ain't fixing trauma, man. Do you know what I mean? You can, you can polish your car as much as you want, but if the engine's broke, you've got to get in there and fix it. Right. And, um, I was too, I was, I was polishing the bodywork. I was cleaning everything. And I was using that to distract me from, you know, from popping the hoods and having a, having a good look. Um, but yeah, it was, it was hard. It was hard for, it was, a, you know, I put through a lot put it through a lot but um like i say it it's definitely made us definitely brought us closer you know and if i try not to have regrets but if i do have regrets they're normally about how my behavior affected my wife you incredible woman you know i tried so hard to push her away and she just wouldn't be pushed away <laughs> she just uh just just hung in there man every time and um i'm blessed i'm truly truly blessed. she clearly knew that all the hard work would pay off. So I'm really glad to hear that that was the case. Um, when you were talking about like communication between the two of you, you know, how, how do you think, you know, how did you do that? And, and how did that kind of support you both going forward? Cause you know, it's, it's difficult supporting somebody as well as being the one that's going through it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That's a really interesting question. Um, I suppose like once I started to get proper help, um, you know, I kind of, I want to share that with her. She wants to be a part of it too. And, you know, at the very least I owe her, you know, an explanation. Um, and often I'll come back from my therapy sessions and maybe not straight after, cause I'm not always kind of like ready to talk, you know, but you know, once you've processed and worked out what the hell has just happened to you, <laughs> um, then, you know, we'll sit down and we'll say, oh, this came up and that came up and I talked about this and this is where I am with it. And, you know, I just kind of like keep her up to date on the on the process and she trusts me. Like I say, every time I promised her I'd get well, I wasn't lying. You know, I just didn't have the right tools and now I've got the right tools so I can work it. And she trusts me to work it, you know? So, um, yeah, I just kind of, you know, we just talk about it. We're open. And you know, when, when you've had, when you've kind of had this sort of amount of disruption as we have, you have to be able to talk really honest and, you know, I remember getting a bit of a shock because we've got two kids and both of us, like my daughter, she's just turning four. She's going to school. We haven't got a baby in the house anymore. <laughs> and we're both really broody, you know, and um, that for a while we kind of talked loosely about maybe having another baby and if that's something we wanted to do. And we were just talking about it one night, just kind of, you know, not a big conversation, just chatting about it. She probably like cuddled a friend's baby and come home like <laughs> missing, missing the cuddles. And we we're talking about, and I said to her, you know, do you think we, do you think we, could you know do, do you think it'd be wise and, and and she said to me well to be honest my biggest worry would be could your mental health take it you know and uh, again the old me would have been like what you fucking mean you know like oh putting this all on me um but the the new me or the real me whichever way you want to put it i was like wow like thank you so much for 
for feeling I, I felt proud that she felt that she could say that to me without fear of any sort of um you know any sort of bad reaction and I thought about it it's like do you know what I'm not at that yeah. time I'm not sure if it could <laughs> you know but you have to have these conversations you can't just go and have a go and have a kid and hope that I'm not going to get sick again you know it was um and just learning to speak to each other like that not to have to not avoid the hard conversations, whether they're about mental health or whether they're about other aspects of just being married and being parents and all the stuff that comes with that is just being able to um, just sort of speak your truth and not worry that someone's going to kick off or that you're going to offend someone because they know that there's no way that you would mean it offensively, even if you maybe haven't used the right words or it's not the right time. Um, but you know, that it all comes from a good place. And we just had to learn to, to, I suppose, look at things through the lens of my mental health. Um, and yeah, yeah, we had, had to add a lot of awkward conversations, um, along the way, but you know, you normally, yeah. Yeah, relationships I think, are better I think like you said, I think it's incredible that she was actually, she felt she could say that. And I think that just shows how, you know, strong that communication was for the both of you to be able to say something like that, because like you said, that could be quite difficult to hear and actually being able to take that on board I think yeah maybe that's something to consider um I think yes yeah, is really powerful um I guess to finish um I wanted to ask a bit about we spoke before um you mentioned it before about you know awareness is great but what do we do after that and I think it's a great question I don't have the answer <laughs> um but I think it's really true. You know, I, at the moment, I'm, I'm going through some stuff and I've done all the right steps, but there's still nothing there. Um, so, you know, in a perfect world, what do you think would be the next thing after, after someone's, you know, okay, I'm ready to speak. I'm speaking. What do you think should happen next? What's next? Yeah. I'm, I'm a firm believer that the, I kind of feel like where it comes to the awareness conversation, I kind of feel like we're aware, you know, there'll always be a need for it. There'll always be people that need to need to know, but, um, it's almost, yeah, it's almost becoming an empty gesture. And I really believe that the, the, mm. the new awareness is signposting. That's what I think is like, don't just tell someone it's okay to not be okay. Mm. Tell them what to do when they're not okay. Tell them where to go. And there is so many incredible organizations, charity supports out there, and people just don't know they exist. People just don't know. And, um, I mean, there's a, um, an amazing app called the hub of hope. I mean, you've come across the hub of hope before. So if I put my, um, postcode into the hub of hope within, I think it's like five miles of my postcode, there's 75 places on that list that I can contact. And of course, not all of them will be relevant. Not all of them will be able to help. But Jesus Christ, 75, like someone, yeah. there's got to be so, to at least get me started, to at least refer me to someone else, you know, and I think they're all out there. And when we need to know about them, we don't know about them. It's only after the fact. I can list so many amazing charities in my local community. I could list them off the top of my head. And when people contact me, and say, you know, like, oh, I'm struggling. Who do you suggest? I can say, well, like local to me here, if you're on the world, these are all the people go and speak to them. They're the experts. I can signpost you to them. Um, and, but I didn't know about them like, when I needed them, <laughs> you know? And it, so I think that's the, that's the key is to, that's the message, isn't it? Is to let people know where to go with this stuff. And 
like it's the variation that's important, isn't it? You know, so if you'd have said to me, oh, speak to someone about your mental health, I was like, oh, I couldn't possibly speak to anyone. And you say, all right, well, what about My Black Dog? It's another a charity, a text-based service, you know, run by volunteers, all with lived experience. Their catchphrase is speak to someone who gets it. Right. So if yeah. someone says, well, I can't talk, it's like, cool, can you text? <laughs> you know, because there's another option. And, there, and there's so many different versions of this stuff out there. And I think the more we just need to get, that's where, that's what people need to know about. That's what people need to know about, you know, because sometimes once you're aware, like you say, that's when the problems start. It's like, oh, crap. Yeah. Maybe I actually am ill. Now what do I do? Um, but yeah, I, I, do, I think that's kind of, um, that's what happens next. And then to, to demonstrate what happens next when you ask to help, well, one, a lot of these organizations will have that information. And I think too, just by having conversations where we share experience, that's maybe that's how you find out what, what comes next, you know, because outside of mental health, the mental health conversation, anything I'd ever heard. So the big stigma for me around like medication was like loads of people saying, oh, it like, you know, I put on loads of weight or I turned into a zombie or it changed all this sort of, you know, I'd heard all that sort of stuff. And because it was confirming my narrative, and my biases, I chose to believe it. And in reality, some of the people who were telling me this stuff, I wouldn't take like, I don't know, childcare advice from, you know, like I wouldn't let them anywhere near my tax returns, but for some reason for, mm -hmm. I thought they were suitable to go to for medical advice. But I think if we're having like more open, open and honest conversations, then people can really hear other experiences and both sides of the coin and, and not just hearing what they want to hear. Um, and, you know, having those conversations and trying to have them outside of the, outside of the norm, you know, having them in places you know, people know I, I, I will openly talk about my mental health so that I'm advertising the fact that I'm a safe space for other people to do the same. You know? And for every people that goes, oh, there he goes again, there might be someone who's listening who thinks, oh, right, okay, well, you know, it's okay for him to do it. Maybe I can do it. Yeah. Maybe just leading by example, right? Maybe that's, that's all we can do is just lead by example and to keep showing up for ourselves and, um, and that'll, that'll rub off, you know, that'll inspire people, yeah. that'll inform I completely people, agree maybe. with maybe that kind of, um, you know, showing up for yourself and speaking out about it in the hope that one person will think, hmm, maybe I could chat about it too. Um, cause I think, you know, I do sometimes feel like a bit of a broken record of, oh, here she goes again. She's, he's talking about mental health, but you know, when it's, I think when it's something that has been such a big part of your life and has affected you so much for me personally, the one thing that I don't want is for somebody else to go through it in the same way that I did. So if I can, you know, cut that a little bit shorter for somebody else, I think that is so important. And also what you were saying about medication, I have found um, that so interesting recently um, when I've gone back on medication because I was so unbelievably against it. Like if someone came to me and said, um, I'm thinking about going on medication, what do you think? I'd be like, oh yeah, you know, great you know it's a really good starting point it might not be forever but it'll help you to get up to a certain level and then you'll be able to engage in therapy and stuff like that but for me I was like no way I've heard all of these bad stories but was completely ignoring every single person that I'd heard talk about it that, that I was then telling other people um and actually for me you know a, a thing that I didn't even realize that was going to happen I now don't have IBS I had really bad IBS before and it's completely gone. And that was something that was really getting me down in terms of my mental health. That I wasn't even thinking about, but I hadn't heard people talk about all these positives. I was just saying that it was a positive um, because I think we're so quick to focus on the negative, but you know, 
it's yeah it's crazy how much you focus on the negative rather than listening to people when they talk about the positives of it as well yeah if you're trying to get mm -hmm. out of something you'll listen to anyone who like you know allows you to get out yeah. of it you know if people aren't challenging you then it's really really easy isn't it um but you know i think with medication um you know like get the, the best advice i got uh, before i started on on medication was um uh, the therapy uh, the therapist i was working with at the time he said well if you're gonna take something you might as well become mm -hmm. an expert on it you know so read up like find out about it and not down some dodgy like youtube rabbit hole where some you know do you know what i mean with some person saying oh don't yeah. take them go and you know eat this instead or whatever none of that but like proper um and he actually gave me um like a medical textbook and it's the one that the gps use when they because they can't remember everything of course they can't when they need to go back and check stuff and it was all that stuff you know that little bit of paper that comes in your pill packet and with your paracetamols <laughs> and all that read it there's like loads of information on it right like you know like yeah if you're going to take something become an ex make an informed decision the decision is ultimately yours you can do whatever you want you know like that's that's not a problem but yeah make it based on the right reasons and if it's not for you it's not for you and if it is it is but um you know and if you try it and it doesn't work or you don't like it well you can stop or you can try something else you know like it's not um it doesn't need to be maybe a, as big a deal as certainly my own experience it didn't yeah. need to be as big a deal as and i think what you've just said there about like trying it and if it's bad you don't have to do it that's kind of my approach to mental health recovery um because you know everybody's got a choice and what we were saying earlier about like being comfortable and being in that position i just keep telling myself just try it like you did with your antidepressants for for six weeks just try it for a bit if it's that bad you can go back to what you're doing right now probability is that you're not going to want to go back there um but actually giving yourself that chance but equally knowing in the back of your mind that you know if it really is that bad if if life without it is that bad just go back because there's always that possibility yeah, yeah yeah that's it try yeah try a different one you know try yeah. you just yeah whatever just keep trying right just keep um keep looking but um yeah, it is useful to find out everything you mm -hmm. can about something and it gives you the power. Knowledge is power, right? Understand and try and get a better understanding. If you don't understand it, try and get a well, better understanding. Well, Tom, thank you so much. Um, I really appreciate you coming on. Um, I'm actually really appreciative that I've met you, to be honest, because I, everything you were saying here today has been really inspiring and it's made me think that I need to do a few, a few things that I've been holding back on. So, yeah, thank you very much. Um, oh, nice. Oh, mate, thank you for having me. Yeah, it's been, um, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Thank you. Thank you for listening from the proper mental podcast please like and subscribe the space star